and welcome to the Top Shelf Hockey Cast, where we talk hockey, mostly Islanders hockey. Joining me as usual, BD Goloff and Phil Farber. I am David Tuckman. We've got a special guest for you later on in our show, Cam Robinson from Elite Prospects, a draft guru, will be joining us shortly, hopefully uh, flight allowing, as he is flying to the draft right now. So hopefully he'll be joining us later. But before we get to Cam, before we get to the draft, we'll talk to Phil and BD about the New York Islanders, where they are, as we are just uh, hours away from the NHL draft. Uh, first off, BD, how's your uh, how's your offseason going? It's going all right. So, well, I didn't appreciate a second round of COVID, but, you know, you know, took uh, two weeks, but I'm uh, back to uh, playing health. That's good. COVID schmovid. Let's get over it. I like it. I like it. I'm glad you're here. You're good. <laughs> Phil, how, how are you? Doing all right. Uh, waiting, well, waiting on bated breath to see what we do with pick 13. Right. Or well, rather what Arizona does with pick 13, right? That's certainly yep. a play, right? Do we uh, do we keep pick 13 or do we move it? Well, you know what? You brought it up. Let's talk about it right away. The NHL draft is right around the corner. Before we get into what prospects might be available there and discuss those with Cam, uh, let's talk about some, some hockey news with the New York Islanders. Pick 13. Uh, Phil, if, uh, if, you're, if you're the New York Islanders, are you moving it? Are you keeping it? What's the price if you are going to move it? What's the minimum price that you would be happy getting if you are moving it? Or would you, just, would you rather just keep it and kind of build through the draft again? I would say this. Other than a forward of the caliber of a Debrinket, which wouldn't happen for the 13th pick, and the Islanders would get outbid, I don't see it being logical to move that pick for offense, for a player up front, given the player is slated to hit the free agent market. If the opportunity presents itself for a Jacob Chikrin or a Jacob Chikrin type, and there has been recent news that's been reported uh, that Columbus and the Coyotes are talking about the 12th overall pick being in play to potentially acquire a young player with term left, I think that would be something where if we can fix the defensive issues, which were the core issues last season, and bring in Chikrin, that is the scenario where I would allow for Lou to to put that into play. Yeah, Jacob Trickham, of course, shoots lefty, has a great shot, can play in the power play, young on a good contract. He certainly would fix a lot of what ails the New York Islanders' back core. Uh, BD, for you, uh, would you move the pick? Would you keep the pick? And what would be the minimum price you would sell it for? I, I, I'm almost of the same mind as Phil. You, you have to use it to, to, to seal up a key weakness. And we know that there's a key weakness on the front line, uh, someone to run with Barzell, and also as a, you know, an offensively bent um, defenseman, but, you know, a good one. And, and those are the two key roles that, you know, and, and, and the team needs to, it, it looks like it's still built to contend. That seems to be the intent. And if that's the case, then you need to trade that pick. It's, it's you know, the lever to make something happen. Because I don't think the, the free agency is going to be that kind. So I would, I would move it but to address those two roles. Uh, interestingly enough, so Kevin Fiala from Minnesota, one of the players that, you know, we were, were certainly thinking maybe 
uh, we would want. Um, he would obviously uh, fill that top six goal-scoring role for us. Um, we saw that he went to the L.A. Kings. The L.A. Kings played a pretty good price, a first-round pick and a top prospect. I think there was some question about how good that prospect was. But uh, from Cam Robinson and other kind of like prospect gurus on Twitter, the prevailing thought is that Brock Faber uh, out of Minnesota is quite good and projects to be a top four defenseman. I actually spoke to a couple of different teams. One team kind of, you know, said he was a B prospect, but, um, you know, uh, speaking to um, some sources in LA, they seem to fail that he was much, he was highly respected and considered a very good prospect for, for, for LA. And I think that Minnesota went out and pointedly got him. Yeah. So I think that they're very happy with what they were able to do. Yeah, it was interesting. I know a lot of fans were really disappointed. They were like, oh, Lou's just sitting on his hands. He doesn't do anything. And, you know, sometimes you just got to realize that if, if, if Minnesota wants a player, a particular player, a prospect, and, you know, Brock Faber plays college hockey in Minnesota, if they want somebody, there's not much that Lou can do. We just don't have a prospect of that. I mean, then it would become to that point that would, would we be happy if we traded, you know, Ratty and, and the one overall and the 13th overall, sorry, our first round pick. And I think a lot of fans might not have liked that. Yeah. I mean, there are like really two ways to look at this. Number one, with the understanding that Minnesota traded him to a team that was in the Western playoff picture this year, right? This is a team that they directly compete with uh, means one of several things. Either there was no bid, that was higher coming from an Eastern conference team where logically speaking, you would think they'd want to move him to um, number two, Fiala did have a say here, right? This is the last year that they own Fiala's rights. If Fiala say wasn't willing to sign a long-term extension with Buffalo or Ottawa or New York, then there's no way these GMs would have taken that plunge, right? They had that contract announced within minutes, which means that they were already negotiating with the player. And it could be that, LA was his preferred destination. Um, and lastly, the price of 7.9 million per is more than any of us of us thought uh, Fiala was going to get by, by a little bit. And in a cap world, giving a guy who just had a career season 10% of your payroll, uh, that's a pretty large commitment uh, before the summer even kicks off. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, no doubt at all. I think uh, that's, that's really fair to say. And they paid it based on one season's really output. Yeah, no, based on, I mean, he's obviously, he's been good for a couple of years. And, and like I said, I mean, I would have loved Fiala, but I think that's what's really key. Teams have, in, in a cap era, teams have assets and there's two different types of assets. You can even say there's three. You've got draft picks. You've got that kind of collateral. Uh, you've got futures. Um, and then you have cap space. And to use up your futures, your draft capital, and your cap space on one player when your team has multiple needs just isn't really smart, in my opinion. It's one of the reasons why, as much as I love Fiala, and I would love to, have, I'd love to see him on Barzala's wing, um, I'm kind of glad that the Islanders did not go after him, you know? Because I think that would have, uh, I think that would have precluded us from getting a defenseman. Very possibly. Um, 
Uh, anyway, let's uh, let's continue on. My take, by the way, in terms of the 13th pick, um, I, you know, if it was for a player of like Fiala's caliber, um, I, I would have been okay with that. But with that price tag, I'm actually glad they didn't go that route. But I'm the same way. I mean, I, I think the 13th pick should certainly be in play <clears throat> if if we're addressing a need. And Jacob Trickren is certainly uh, that player in uh, in thing. I, I do I do wonder, and I'm curious what you guys think. If if Lou does not trade the 13th overall, is he sending a message to the fans and the team that he doesn't think – he thinks that we're closer to the team that we saw last year than the team that we saw in the Eastern Conference Finals 12, 13 months ago? Listen, I think that's a question that's going to be answered um, one week later when, when UFA opens up with based on what he does – um, logically speaking, right? Everyone knows the, the, the Lou quote from February or March, whenever the trade deadline was, we're going to have to upgrade through hockey trades, right? The most logical time to make a hockey trade is before the draft. When most of these teams are looking to accumulate draft capital that they could deploy immediately. Um, and we saw it last year with, uh, Buchnevich and Seth Jones and a lot of these players that got moved, uh, right before the draft. This is when those deals happen. Fiala was just moved. Um, so it's really going to depend on what happens over the course of the next two days and then what happens the following week. There is a scenario where Lou simply, I mean, they have 13 forwards under contract right now, and then Kiefer Bellows is a restricted free agent. There is a scenario where they just simply stand pat, bring up Robin Solo to be a full-time defenseman, and sign someone like, I don't know, Alex Edler or Nikita Zadorov, or whoever it might be, and say, this is what we're going to go with, and any upgrades are going to be done at the trade deadline because I firmly believe that this group, as constructed, should have competed last year and can compete now. Yeah, and that's something that we touched on, and BD, I want to bring you in on this in a second, but that's something we touched on. Whether we, whether we agree with this or not, it, it could be a case of one of the reasons why, one of the many reasons why Lou fired Trotz could be simply because he thinks this roster should compete and can compete, as you just said, Phil. And if he does think that, then yeah, it could just be a simple thing of, okay, let's get rid of Chara. Let's get rid of Green. Um, you know, maybe maybe they bring back Bailey. Um, obviously, I don't think any of us want that, but that I think that's definitely a scenario that Lou could take the Islanders down if he thinks last year was more of an aberration than and this team is is really still an Eastern Conference final contender. Yeah, I mean, just just by the way, just to do the quick math here, yeah. with twelve million in space, there are, you know, right now, with with almost everyone under contract with the exception of Noah Dobson, there is a path where you could even lock in Dobson to a long term extension now for six or six point five, eating about half your space. You sign a second defenseman for about three and a half or 4 million. You fill out the rest of the roster with, with Salo, a league men, seventh D man, and go into the season with a little bit of cap space accruing where you get to the point at the trade deadline. If you're in the hunt, that's when you go ahead and make your big move and, and move a 2023 protected first round pick or whatever it might be. Right. And for someone who spoke openly about his belief in the core Prepare yourself for it because that might just be what they do. Although I will say, and BD, I want to bring you in here. Um, 
uh, you're obviously that's just who knows what's going to happen. We'll find out obviously over the next couple of weeks. But I, I do think when you look at when you look at uh, Lou's first five years, and and I know you've been very critical of him. This will be summer number five. And, you know, summer number one, obviously, just took the reins. The job was basically to get Tavares to resign. Uh, that did not happen. Um, he did get he did bring in Leonard the year after that. Uh, they they um, Pajot was kind of the move. The year after that, they re-signed Barzal and Pollock and unfortunately had to let Taze go because of COVID and cap restrictions. And then, you know, last summer, basically Palmieri. So I feel like Lou... I feel like a lot of fans think that Lou is just sitting on his hands and doing nothing. And sure, they did nothing at the trade deadline. But I think that's kind of an unfair assessment. I feel like he actually has been quite active when he feels like he needs to be. Yeah, and I also think, you know, going back to will he if he hold on to the pick, I think he can just do it being pragmatic. He doesn't get the deal that he wants and the value that he expects. He'll hold on to the pick and make the pick. Right. I think he's that pragmatic in the end. Um, right, know, he's not going he, right, to trade uh, the pick just to trade the pick, right? He's not going to trade the pick and, and not get value for it. I think that's what you're saying, right? He's he's going to have an internal value. So if it's his value is just like our values, like we just spoke about, where it's for to address that offensive defenseman that they need or a forward that can run with, uh, with Barzell. If he thinks that he has to overpay in a deal, or he's not getting the value that he thinks that 13 is pick is worth and doesn't feel like the player that's involved is necessarily worth it. I think he'll just hold on to the pick, make the selection and work a different way. Um, is it ideal? No, because that's a key trade pick, but um, you know, and going back to your other item, no, he does make moves when it's necessary. The only one that I really, kind of drove me nuts last summer was wasn't that we let Nick Letty go. He was replaceable. The fact that he wasn't replaced drove me nuts. Right. And and then, of course, we saw the result. Now, the, you know, you and I have had many discussions whether, you know, you need an offensive defenseman to do the zone exits and the entries. And you do have a point. You don't always have to. But I think that in the NHL and the way the team had been Put together it really depended on that and unless they bring in a different type of player um i think they still need to address that in some way yeah. the 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 rest seems to be you know that we hope for the best yeah i think it's fair bd and, and obviously you and i are going to agree to disagree to me i i just want a good skater um i mean i think obviously replacing letty um, with Charo was never going to work. The fact that Green also aged badly last year and was exposed was kind of a double whammy. <laughs> Bailey obviously aged. That hurt us as well on the offensive side of things. Um, to me, like, I mean, listen, give me six Adam Pellicks and, and I'll worry about getting a, a, an offensive defenseman later on. You know what I mean? Like, Adam Pellick is a – like, he's a perfect example to me where he is obviously one of the best defensive defensemen in the league, but he also can move the puck. He can make – you know, he can make an outlet pass – he can make. Uh, he can skate with the puck when necessary. I mean, Ryan Pollock's the same way. I don't consider either one of them, obviously, offensive defensemen. But you know, if you gave me five of them, you gave me five of them and one power play quarterback, I'd be really happy. Yeah. No, I I don't disagree. There's a point there, and it really depends 
on how the ta- and and maybe you know part of it was the coaching in the system and the and the stubbornness yeah um of trots maybe we will see that um change substantially i think i think that we all have a stat and really don't know what to expect despite you know we hold on to lose words via talking about trade but i don't know if we know what to expect because it's so contingent on so many different items and you know, the Islanders have limited assets as compared to other teams. And you really hope that they can find the, the that key situation that really improves the team. And, uh, you know, and we're going to hope for the best here. Yeah, I know for sure. Let's uh, let's quickly go through. We don't have a ton to talk about. Obviously, we want to get Cam on the show and and uh, talk draft. But let's talk about the recent news for the Islanders. There hasn't been much, obviously. Um, but they signed a scout from the Toronto Maple Leafs. They signed a couple of assistant coaches. Uh, Phil, fill us in on, on who these guys are. And are these um, uh, the summer of Lou, I see you tweeting. at. Uh, by the way, you can follow all of us on Twitter. I'm at Tucker on Sports. Phil is at Phil's with a Z, facts. And... Uh, BD Goloff is very simply at BD Goloff. Um, so, Phil, Phil, listen, who did we get? Who did we get? Well, I mean, the, the Summer of Lou stuff is just, I mean, I like to be funny on Twitter a little bit, but if I'm not butchering his last name, they, they hired Jim Paliafito, who uh, was, BD, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was Toronto's longest tenured scout, I think, that they had, and someone who had previously worked with Lou. Um, BD had sent out or tweeted out an athletic piece uh, which basically outlined his role was expertise in European free agents. Uh, and this is someone who Dan Milstein had clo- uh, coined as the closer for some of these um, key UFAs coming over from Europe. And you could look at these players essentially as free draft picks. And for a lot of them, there's essentially, you know, there's there's a high hit rate, a higher hit rate even than with with actual draft picks. Well, because I mean, like, a lot of them are over- older, right? I mean, you're talking about instead of drafting an 18-year-old, you're looking at 22, 23, 24-year-olds, 25-year-olds. Right, so you know yeah, what you're getting I mean, there. Right, you're getting men, you're not getting boys anymore. You're getting you're getting men, and, and he brought over Mikheyev, who is, is one of the uh, top UFA forwards this summer, uh, and someone who I think the Islanders might have in mind uh, as a Beauvillier replacement. If they move Beauvillier, he's 27 years old. He'll be 28. He brought in Barabanov who kind of got crowded out in Toronto just because they had too many forwards and he's taken off with the sharks ever since they moved him there. Uh, Miko Lettinen was the most sought after prospect or not prospect, but, but free agent European defenseman. And ultimately that didn't work out either. He found himself in a crowded blue line situation was traded to Columbus didn't work out there, went back to Europe, but you know, you get some points for, for getting the deal done and trying. Uh, Nikita Zaitsev is one that uh, he did as well. And he had a good rookie season, put up a lot of points. And then Lou gave him way too much money and way too much term. Right. Right. Let's not, let's not blame the scout for Lou giving him a bad contract. Exactly. I mean, you're still talking about, you're still talking about him bringing over an NHL caliber defenseman. hundred percent. Right. He is, he is someone who, the hope seemingly is that he's going to be able to tap into that pool and make the Islanders a more competitive destination when teams are bidding on free agent European talent. And that's something that they haven't had in, in my lifetime, I guess you could say. Right now. Sure. Um, and let's talk about the assistant coaches as well. BD, tell us who these guys are. Maybe well, Phil, I don't know who, who knows about them. <laughs> Well, Doug Huda uh, comes. He's more of a defense coach. Can he you has, say it? Uh, if you're going to say it like Doug Huda, can you go, Doug Huda? 
Huda. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Band. And uh, and uh, he's uh, for a while he was the Bruins um, defensive coach, and then he went over to Detroit. Um, he does, you know, that looks like you know that's as I called them both, uh, both picks, bread and butter picks. Uh, Brian Wiseman comes from Edmonton. Um, he's a former University of Michigan coach. He um, works with skill development and younger players. So here you got defense and skill and young player development. It, you know, you can't go wrong with either of those. Um, I see people online calling Wiseman a power play guy. He is not. That's a different coach for the Edmonton. So I don't know why that keeps on being brought up. So they haven't really addressed necessarily that unless they. But what about the what about the rumors? What about the rumors that? What about the rumors that Drysaddle and Connor McDavid came to Edmonton with no skill whatsoever, and this guy gave them basically uh, brought all the skill out of them? Is that is that true? Yeah. Yes. Yes. With lightning to the mountain. That is amazing. Good. Well, Islander fans should be really excited about that. Uh, By the way, who is our power play coach? It's not. It's not the same guys last year, and it's not Hillier. It's not Hillier. No, Hillier. Hillier left. Or was, good. I think he was let go. They let go of Hillier. They let go of Gruden. I mean, I checked the Islanders' website. The only coaching personnel that I see left over is Greco, Corn, who are the goalie coaches, um, and then just a couple of ops guys. Uh, but now they have two more coaches. Um, presumably, they would have maybe one. I would assume that this guy Huda Beatty, correct me if I'm wrong. He's going to kind of take over Lane's position that lane formerly occupied with with the defense corps and then maybe they have a a special teams guy that they need to bring in still who knows that yeah that it it remains to be seen you know the the barry trot system even if he had coaches assigned to power play and and defense barry trots was very hands-on even if those coaches ran the the you know the different skills and cool so we can blame we can blame black barry for the terrible power play as well then Oh yeah. I mean, listen, the power play ended up being pretty good last year. I think they finished twelfth in the league. They had yeah, a- but you can't let up. You can't let up nineteen short-handed goals. I know I'm exaggerating, but only slightly. <laughs> I mean, it, having 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 a top ten power play is only good if you don't let up the short-handed goals. The short-handed goals just kill us. You know that you Killer. can't. Last year was just that was just not that was you cannot do that and be a contender. I just remember that. Tage Thompson, two on five goal. I think it was like Thompson and Cousins against all five players, and somehow they managed to score. It was ridiculous, shorthanded. It, I mean, so many of those. Right. Um, well, that's uh, okay. So, uh, so some good moves that a little bit under the radar. Certainly, they're not sexy, but these are moves that needed to happen with the new coaching regime. And, and those are Phil. Hopefully, the scout brings somebody off. Um, you mentioned, and we've been talking about uh, free agent coming out of Toronto. Obviously, um, uh, Ilya Mikheyev, and I'm saying his name wrong. I'm Ilya sure. Mikheyev. Mikheyev. Thank you. So, talk about him for a second. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's 27 years old to be 28 next season. Um, it doesn't look like the Maple Leafs can afford him, and he kind of ticks a lot of the boxes that the uh, the Islanders need. And this particular scout was integral in bringing him over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think what McCabe does, he kind of has that bow skill set. Only he's he's bigger. Um, he's six foot two. He's faster. I mean, for those of you who haven't seen it, there's a clip of him that's been on circulating on around Twitter for a couple of years now of him beating. Uh, McDavid to a puck in, in a in a straight line going about three quarters of the length of the ice, but he's someone who who got off to a really hot start with Toronto his first year there, 
And then in a game versus the Devils, he took a skate to the wrist in the same season that Clutterbuck did. Um, and that caused him to miss the rest of the season up until the point where the bubble playoffs came back. Last year, he was, he was good in every element of the game except for actually scoring goals. Um, I mean, he would get these glorious opportunities and he couldn't bury the thing. And maybe that could be the lingering. So maybe, of the so, he, so he's more like Bo than we want. Yeah. But this year <laughs> he had 21 goals in 53 games. Yeah. Um, on not a ridiculous shooting percentage. It was only 14%. He had 147 shots on goal. Um, something I like about players coming over from the KHL, they haven't played a lot of NHL games when they come over at 25. And the NHL game is a lot more taxing and grinding and, causes a lot more wear and tear than the European style game, just because of the smaller ice service and the more physicality. He's, he's played less than 150 NHL games, a few more, if you include playoffs. And that's someone who for turning 28 in October, if you sign him to a four or five year deal that takes him to age 31 or 32, I think you could p- feel pretty good about it holding up well in, in terms of age. He had two goals and two assists in seven playoff games this year. He's someone who was a key contributor in all situations for the Maple Leafs. And if you want to bring speed in addition to Bo or as a potential replacement for Bo, if you want to leverage Beauvillier in a trade, I think this guy checks a lot of boxes for me. Yeah, I, I and, and BD, I want to bring you in one more time and then we'll uh, I will give you the sad news for a second. But anyway, uh, Cam Robinson, by the way, has gotten his flight delayed. He is headed to Montreal for the draft. Uh, bad news is we will not be talking to him right now. Good news is that hopefully we can talk to him um early early on thursday on draft day actually so um that's the hope so i think we can talk to him early morning draft day and we will add this to the podcast so um stuff that i don't even need to tell any any of our viewers but i'm going to pull back the curtain so everybody can see how this operation works um i would love mccabe i think i i think the prospect of getting like you know one of the big guns i don't think johnny gaudreau is going to come here i don't think we're getting philip forsberg obviously we're not getting fiala so i feel like the best path for these Islanders to take is to do what they did really well when they made the Eastern Conference Finals, which is have four really, really good lines. And rather than sign somebody for nine, ten million dollars, I, I think you know maybe going out and getting a couple of players in that you know four to five million dollar range that just make us very, very difficult to play against. And uh, I think Mikheyev is just, like I said, I mean, in a game that's, you know, predicated on speed, I think Mikheyev is, would be a, a huge boost for the Islanders if they could get him. BD? Well, he's he's definitely intriguing. Um, he seems to, after two seasons, really start to turn it on this season. So it is, he's an interesting thing. I don't think that the, the Islanders, I think it's an incidental, you know, once they made their scout move, that the, maybe they work on that relationship, certainly that his voice becomes a voice um, to Lou saying, you know, this guy is the real deal. And they look at a few things and give him a shot. I don't think it hurts. And I, I do agree to you with you that adding um, some of key aspects, even if you're not getting the key star player, might even them out and still make them highly competitive in a contending team, especially if they are truly closer than, than they appeared yeah. this season, um, then that would be, uh, you know, it's, it certainly would make some sense, but you know, it, it really, 
I really don't know what to expect. And that's, that's really, you know, even if they bring him in, does he, does he even work on the first line or is he more of a second line player? I don't think he needs to, you know, be assigned specifically to a line right out of the gate. Um, I think more to David's point is if you have four balanced lines that you could send wave after wave, um, that in some scenarios, as we've seen when the Islanders had Leo Komarov on the first line, right? That was effective enough um, to get the Islanders to game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> you know, in addition to having Zajac and Matt Martin, you had a few players on each of those lines that just really didn't bring much in the way of scoring. Um, so I, I don't see how Mikheyev would do anything um, except help. Yeah. I think that's the important key, and I think a lot of Islander fans, and I know, listen, guys, who those those watching and listening to this, you're thinking, no, I want a big name. I want somebody – I want an elite player next to Barzal. And and I can tell you that Phil, BD, and myself, we want that player too. Uh, unfortunately, they just don't grow on trees. You've got to get him in the draft essentially. Um, and I, I my, gut, my gut tells me that Gaudreau is not leaving Calgary. I don't think Forsberg is going to leave Nashville. Um, you know, obviously we weren't in the game for Fiala. So just it comes down to, do you want to overpay for a player, give them too much term, or would you rather go for value? And, and I think, you know, you look for complementary players. And to me, McKay of speed really upgrades what the Islanders were missing last year. And it also kind of plays into, uh, into I, I actually think, while it's not kind of a unique, it's not necessarily a first line that you would think about it that way, I think Barzal and Mikheyev would actually really well play well together. That speed would just be dynamic. Um, and it kind of goes back to your point to what, about the fans, David. Yeah. To your point about the fans, I, I think we kind of get, you know, lost in the weeds a little bit when it comes to free agency. Everyone wants a new player, right? It's, it's the, the backup quarterback complex, right? The guy who's sitting on the sidelines, the guy on the other team, they always look better because you don't see them as frequently as opposed to you're going, oh, well, this guy, ugh, you know, we've seen this guy for like six, seven years. But looking back to 2019, that was really Lou's biggest offseason, right? You had three of their top six forwards, Lee, Eberly, and Nelson coming up on unrestricted free agency. There was Panarin that was looming. And at one point, it seemed as if the Islanders might have been the favorite. And that was someone that, of course, everyone wanted. But in hindsight, when I look back at that 2019 uh, UFA uh, offseason, number one, would fans have been happy if instead of going with Lee, Nelson, and Eberly, if they went with Matt Duchesne, Kevin Hayes, and Gus Nyquist? Yeah. Probably. I mean, you could have then said, look, Lou brought in three top six he forwards. Did so, but- right. Hey, look, he's doing something. He's it's doing kind of, something. And that's the thing. It's always funny. It's how fans coming off a bad season, fans want GMs. They go, do something. Just do something. And and I think, you know, listen, and I'm not going to say. Buy now, pay later. Right. And, but it's also a situation where you just go, listen, I, I, I don't necessarily, I'm not a Lou lover. I mean, I think, I don't think the guy is perfect, but, you know, I do think I'm like, listen, I don't want him to just do something. I want him to do the right move because if he makes the wrong move this summer or any summer, that sets us back into the four or five years. I mean, the only reason, and this is this is wholeheartedly true, the only reason we lost Devin Tays was because of COVID and because Andrew Ladd was signed. So, yeah, I mean, do you want that listen, kind of that? Do you want something like that to happen? No. Yes, I mean, sometimes the best move is is bringing back the player you have. And looking back at that 2019 class, 
um, you could very easily make a case that the second best forward available was Brock Nelson in hindsight. Oh my right? God. Who, and think about who what, from that And what, and what do we get him for? I mean, think about his contract. I mean, that's one thing. Six it's kind of funny. Six people love to people love to rip Lou for some bad contracts, and the Zaitsev trade was the contract was certainly one of them. But look who he signed. We have Pelik and Pullock for eleven million, right? Or what is it? Total twelve million, basically. Um, Nelson for under seven, right? I mean, there's six some flat. Yeah, I mean, there's some really good. Is it six flat? I thought it was six five. It's just amazing. Um, so. You know, say what you will about Lou, and like I said, I'm not. I, I don't think he's without blame, but I'd like to see what he ne- does the next week. Now, listen, if we have a post-draft podcast in three weeks and he's done nothing, then we're getting worried. Obviously. Oh yeah, I'll be uh, scratching at the walls. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, no doubt about that. Uh, let's quickly uh, let's quickly wrap this up. But I do want to just add one thing on. Please on Lou. add away. Go. If Lou if Lou misses this summer and he errors and 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 you know is wrong, I don't know if he's GM after next season. That's so a good point. I he, should, he shouldn't be not on the line. He shouldn't be. Yeah, I mean, listen. There's there's a couple ways to look at you know back and going back to the thirteenth pick, right? Like. What are you planning on doing here? Is the is the idea that you want to continue to build a team around Barzal, around Dobson, around that core of players, Pelic, and consistently compete, or is the goal that you want to kind of rebuild through the draft and and ultimately tear it down? You're going to have an opportunity in a few years if you want to go that route, right? You're going to have guys like Nelson and Lee expiring and. I mean, there's going to be opportunities to accumulate draft capital just by virtue of some of these players getting toward the tail end of their careers. But if if the idea is that you want to kind of build around these key pieces that they have, then then he's got to go all in and he's got to show them if he's got them. Okay, I'm going to leave you guys with – we're going to do two – we'll play a little game, okay? But it's going to be quick, BD, and I know you're, uh, you're never quick, but we're going to be quick here, okay? <laughs> be, a, be a ninja for a moment, okay? So um, we're going to do – what is your number one? Now, we did this already a couple of months ago, but now that we've seen some things happen, uh, maybe a little bit more clarity as we head, as we are just a couple of days away from the draft and free agency as well, coming up right around the corner. Um, I want to hear what your number one reasonable, okay, we're not trading for Connor McDavid, let's be honest. What is your number one reasonable hope, like your, your, your pipe dream out there, right? And what do you expect? What's your expectation, okay, for each? And uh, oh, BD, I'll uh, let you start. BD, you want to start or you want to think about it? Um, give me a uh, because I don't want to hit on the Phil, same. Phil, are you ready? The same things that others. Or should I go first? Go for it, Dave. I will go first. So my number one is is actually similar to what we said earlier on. Um, my number one is trading Bailey. Finally recognizing that and 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 hopefully actually getting something for him I still think he's actually a positive asset not necessarily uh because of his play but I think he still can be a a I still think he can be like a a third line winger maybe a a a second line winger for a bad team and I think because his cap value is higher than his actual money owed I think that is going to be uh, favorably looked at by some teams out there so my hope is that 
Bailey is either part of some sort of a package or traded to a team like Arizona or maybe Buffalo or somebody like that that is very money conscious and needs to get to the cap floor and, you know, maybe we get a fifth round pick for it or something, whatever, garbage. Um, but that Bailey is not on the team and that Lou finally recognizes that he is no longer a, a player that should be playing regularly um, for a contender. So that's my uh, my hope, my expectation is that it does not happen. I think Bailey's still on this team. And that my expectation is that I think Bailey and Varlamov are still here, uh, unfortunately. Um, but I do think that Lou does make some moves. And I think like a Mikheyev could definitely be in the mix. I do think Lou is not going to just sit on his hands. I think that he will bring in some players. Phil? Yeah. Um, again, I, th- I think all of our hope and <laughs> our hopes and dreams are for a Chikrin for a guy like Giroud to want to sign here. But again, just keeping it level and, and within the rules of this game. I think that um, I think that's realistic, though. I don't think I see. I don't think Chikrin or Guru, or Guru is like completely out of the realm. I wouldn't say completely out of the realm, but I mean, if I had to bet on it, it's it's less likely than more likely. Right. Um, I would say number one. Uh, you know, I'm not going to use your answer with Bailey, but for for Lane to have the recognition and realization that. Um, the best fourth line in hockey is well past its prime. Ooh. And um, at least one of those pieces, most notably Matt Martin, just not being a full-time member um, of the Islanders starting lineup. He could be in the press box. He could be in the locker room. He could sub in and out for injuries here and there. Uh, but I want them to go get someone younger, someone faster, who would be more useful to Sezikis and Clutterbuck, who I thought were mostly fine this past year and who I think can be valuable if does, they had a third running mate to does go the player that you want to bring in does his last name does it rhyme with dude it is miles wood i i would love for them to bring in a guy like miles wood a guy with some size and speed still young um i don't believe the devils will qualify him at three and a half million i expect him to hit unrestricted free agency and if he does i think that is an intriguing player what do you think thought, what do you think he'd go for Contract-wise, because I'd love... By the way, I remember Miles with a couple of years ago. Last year, not so much. But I remember a couple of years He's ago... He's a pest. He is absolutely a pest. He's one of those guys you do not want to play against. He plays the game hard. He plays the game fast. He just, to me, in many ways, he seemed like a younger version of Cal Clutterbuck. Yeah, I remember they played in, in the bubble season two years ago. Um, it was a 2 nothing Niles lead. It looked like Varlamov was like about to get his sixth shutout or something like that. And then with 20 seconds left, I think Miles would just kind of like tackled either Letty or Green, whoever was defending him, just a blatant penalty that just wasn't called because Tim Peel just doesn't call penalties. And he cut the lead two to one and they ultimately won that game. But that's just the kind of player he is. He plays in the dirty areas. He, his straight line speed, again, he just had hip surgery. So maybe give him some time to acclimate again. Uh, But his straight line speed is about as good as anyone on the team, including um, Beauvillier and maybe even Barzell. And I think... I don't know, two years, a million, seven, five, something like that. Um, not a lot of teams are going to want to invest significant amounts of years and um, dollars into a guy who's coming off of surgery, but he's local in the area. Uh, I know Lou fans, Lomarello, I know fans Lou are going to go draft pick. Yeah. I know fans are going to go crazy. If, if, if Lou brings in another devil, but this is a devil that I would not mind getting. I am, I am on board with you on this. I think miles Wood would be a and huge son of Rand- and Randy. Oh yeah. A former. I I, I just yeah, think that would be go. such a great – I mean, you think about – like, to me, honestly, Sezikis, Clutterbuck, and Miles Wood on that fourth line, I, I do think that fourth line would be very, very difficult to play against again. Oh, they'd be nails. 
oh, you just you just wouldn't want to see them. They would just be annoying. And I'm not saying that Martin needs to be thrown off the team. You know, if you have the cap space, he's your extra forward. Keep him in the locker room. Use him on on days when guys need a maintenance day here or there. But well, listen, we're going to get injuries. We're going to get injuries. And yeah, the, the good he, thing is – The good news is, listen, if, if with injuries, I think Miles Wood um, is the kind of player that could slot in on the third line for, you know, a handful of games here or there. Obviously, is more ideally suited for the fourth line. But, you know, you get an injury to the third line. You get a couple of things here and there. You move guys around. And I, I, my guess would be that Martin would still play 25, 30 games on the fourth line. Exactly. Right. And, and we saw it with Parisi last year, right? Having a guy with off the charts, hockey IQ, someone who's been a top line player for 90% of his career. When, when you have an injury, when you have a guy like Anders Lee going for COVID, when you want to mix things up, they were able to move Parisi up and down the lineup and into different positions pretty seamlessly. Um, and someone who has previously played in, in the middle six for the Devils, I think you'd be able to do that with him as well. Yeah, I, 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 like I tend to agree. Swiss Army knife type players. That would be awesome. I would love it. Long awaited uh, BD Galoff. Yeah, BD, yes. what's your uh, what's your hope and your expectation? Well, my my hope is um uh Chikrin. Uh I feel that they need an offensive defenseman, maybe uh Sam Gerard from uh Avalanche if no. that can be gotten. I think I think they need to address the ability and the offensive ability um, on defense and within the scope of top four, if possible. That's what Chikrin, I think, is the better pick. Um, you know, some really think that he could be much more than just a top, top. On this team, he would be in the top four, but on other teams, he could end up being a top pair. Would Chikrin, let me ask you very quick. But I think they would need Chikrin to address be, that role. Would Chikrin take – Dobson's spot as the power play quarterback or no? Would he be power play too? It really depends. I'm not necessarily the power play quarterback, but he is what I would use with, you know, with Mayfield. You no, know, no, I'm not, playing, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not doubting. You know, I'm listening. I, 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 would, I would put him with Dobson, not, actually. And, I think I would put him with Dobson. But, but I, it, it would certainly be interesting there too. Um, He's a very capable defenseman. He's mobile, and you know it's. No, no, no. Listen, you know, I would love. I mean, listen, and not just somebody to fulfill the role, but somebody with talent. Listen, listen. You don't have to sell me on Chikrin. I mean, if if you had to tell me like my absolute pipe dream for the offseason, give me Mikheyev. Uh, give me Mikheyev as a free agent. Give me Miles Wood as a free agent. Send send uh, send Bailey away and give me Chikrin. And uh, you know, I I would be thrilled. I would be like absolutely over the moon if, if we brought in those three players and then we could figure it out. Um, I mean, our speed on this team would just be like, compared to what we saw last year, the speed would be through the roof. It would be amazing. Um, so you don't have to sell me on Chikrin. I was just wondering, Chikrin's pedigree, would he come in and challenge Dobson for that power play quarterback spot or not? I don't I don't think necessarily. I don't think you need to, to tinker around with that. Okay. Um, I think that he could, he could become your power play too. If one happens to output the other, I don't think I think that's a luxury. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. Not- I mean, and that's something I don't know how Lane's going to do it, but something we saw under Barry, he is much more of a he was much more of a 50-50 um, up until very late when the PP one just established themselves as being dominant. He was always very 50-50 with the units, right? At, at the 
yeah, the one minute mark, if the puck left the zone, everyone was going off. Maybe sometimes Barzell stayed out longer. Um, and when one unit, like, like BD said, was outperforming the other unit, that would be the unit he started with. I mean, there was um, a, a, a long stretch of time uh, two seasons ago where the unit he was putting out first was, was the unit that had Letty and Wallstrom and Nelson, and that was their second power play unit. So I, I don't think this team would be averse to mixing things up as, as needed, and he's someone who's played that role well. BD, leave us with a depressing note. What's your, what do you expect? <laughs> oh, God, I don't even know. What do you oh, expect? Come on, what are your expectations? Somebody don't say nothing. I Come on. I haven't even – I haven't even – my expectation is you find somebody that we haven't thought about or it's somebody who, who plays uh, and more on the right side and adds more confusion on our part on how the defense is going to work itself out. I think that is my expectation. BD is, is expecting an $8 million per year, seven-year deal for John Klingberg. That is, that's what BD's saying. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's okay, the we're, scenario. As promised, without further ado, let's bring in Cam Robinson from ringside by EliteProspects.com. Cam is a draft prospect guru who I certainly follow on Twitter. You should, too. He is at... Hockey underscore Robinson and uh, uh, a worth of knowledge without a doubt. Cam, welcome to uh, welcome to Top Shelf. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me on, fellas. Um, so you're in Montreal for the draft? Yeah, yeah. Flew in late Tuesday night and uh, been getting around and seeing the things and shaking the hands and kissing the babies and uh, getting ready for today. I like it. I like it. Um, so before we uh, before we get into uh, Islander prospects and and what you might expect from the draft, uh, just let us know the the overall feel of, of what's going on there. Obviously Montreal with the number one pick and and what's going on. Give us the vibe. I mean, there's a lot of chatter. I'll tell you that much. Like there, we were talking just off air that you know nothing's really gone on yet. It's like I think. There's uh, there's some things that are going to happen. Um, you know, a lot of debate about what's going on at the top, talking to people in the industry, talking on team side folks. It's really split. Now, you know, some some people tell you that they think it's Slavkovsky going one. Lots of people say Shane Wright, even a little smittering of people talking Logan Cooley. Um, so, yeah, I think number one still up in the air. I personally think it's going to be right. Um, there's talks of, you know, lots of trades that could go down. There's talks of teams looking to move back and nobody's biting yet. And we'll see, you know, once, once the picks start coming off the board, that's when teams start to really be like, we want that guy. Let's see if we can jump up a couple spots. And I love it when a team slides back, you know, grab an extra asset and still get the guy you want anyways. Like it's, it's just too easy. So, uh, yeah, lots of talk, but uh, not a lot of action just yet. What is, if there is a, a trade that you would bet money on? And, um, you know, maybe maybe you occasionally wager on a hockey event or two. If, if there was a trade that you could bet on, like, absolutely 100% this trade is happening, what would it be? Oof, I mean, it's tough because it's hard to make a deal. But uh, I really do think JT Miller's moving this weekend. Um, I've felt that way for a long time. I don't think the Canucks can go into the season with him and everybody knows that this is the time to get a deal done before, you know, all the GMs and everybody goes to the cottages in, in August and everything shuts down. Um, so, you know, maybe it could happen a few days after the draft, but I really think that they're going to, whatever team Vancouver's dealing with, they're probably going to want their picks too. 
So uh, I do think JT Miller is going to go. And I got another one for you that not a lot of people are talking about. Um, I think Anthony D'Angelo is going to move this weekend too. Wow. Okay. You think Carolina, Carolina doesn't want him. I just think that, you know, it was a great setup for everybody there. They got him in at a mill. He put up a bunch of points. He's an RFA with Arbrights, I believe. And he's going to, he's got a great case to be handed a bag. And uh, Carolina's not one to give out bags. You know, they let Dougie walk um, last year. Uh, I think that they're, they're happy to be like, okay, well, you know, that was great for a million bucks and we'll offer you a nice extension here, but not what you want. And when he doesn't want that, They'll move them out and they'll get assets and they'll go find an, the next guy to play in the top power play. I mean, that's interesting because D'Angelo was so good and that power play was so good, say, the first 60 games of the season. And, and then it went MIA at the end of the season. And then obviously in the playoffs, it was terrible. But you got to wonder mm-hmm. what, what Carolina is going to do without uh, without a true power play quarterback or how they find. Them. Yeah. Yeah, well, they'll need to go get something for sure. But, you know, John Klingberg's going to be on the market. Um, you know, there's going to be trade options. Uh, I think Carolina's a very, you know, they're, they're kind of, they think outside the box a little bit and they pride themselves on that. And uh, and so they, they can find assets, they can find value in places where other people aren't looking. So uh, if they do move them, I, I have a feeling that they'll, they'll be able to pull another rabbit out of the hat. Well, Phil and I are so uh, so dedicated to uh, Top Shelf ca- Hockey Cast, by the way, that we started this Hockey Cast two days ago. Uh, it is now draft morning. Draft's about 12 hours away. By the time you're listening to this, it'll probably be uh, a couple of hours before the draft. Maybe it'll be after the draft, and you'll miss out on this. Um, B.D. Goloff, who knows where he's He's falling asleep. The guy's old. Nothing we can do about it. Um, if you were betting, would you bet on Shane Wright? Right now we can get Shane Wright at minus 260 to be the number one pick. Yeah, I would. That's that's who I think it's going to be. I think that it, you know, if Montreal goes off the board, like they got a new they got a new management team, so they've got you know a, a lot of string, a lot of rope given to them. So if they make a, a big splash, they're going to get away with it, right? They're not going to not going to feel the heat instantly. But you know, you're hosting the draft. You got the first overall pick. You got a kid, Shane Wright, who's exceptional status, was you know been trending really really well for a long time. Lost his draft minus one, still was the best player in the CHL by a mile this year. Um, I think there's a lot more offense to give there. And just the prospect of putting him and Suzuki down the middle for the next decade, it's it's just it's just a luxury that teams don't often get an opportunity to grab. Um, you know, they could go wild and get Slavkovsky, but it's like the range of outcomes for him is very, very wide. Um, you know, he could be this like freakish unicorn on your first line with those soft, soft hands, but he might be a third liner. Like it's, you know, we saw what we're seeing what Capocacco is struggling with. Um, they were similar players in, in, in the Liga when they're draft eligible. You know, Slavkovsky can get off the wall a little bit better, uh, skates a little bit better maybe now at the, at the end of the year. Um, but there's risk. There's risk attached. There's probably going to be a lot of maturation time. Um, I think Montreal, you know, you grab right, you can plug them into your third line next year. You got a player, you know, he's going to be a very solid top six center for you. Yeah, and I was just going to ask you, I mean, I was just going to ask you this to me, is, is reminiscent a couple of years ago of Hughes versus Kako, where I think they just wanted to create a little bit of drama and a little bit of a story heading into the draft, um, where there was really no question that Hughes was going to go number one. To you, is this the same kind of deal where they just want to get some clicks, or is there really just no one knows as to what's actually going to happen over here? Man, it, I, I don't think it's like that, because you're right. That Hughes versus Kako, that was Hughes. That was going to be Hughes, and anybody with a pulse knew it. And, we, you know, I like Capo Kako, but it wasn't – it was a, a, a tier difference. Um, this time, like, I genuinely believe that Montreal has been, you know, flip-flopping. Not maybe flip-flopping, but it's been undecided all the way up. Um, you know, I haven't 
I don't got a, a you know the the direct line rated in Ken Hughes' office there to see if they've already made their decision, but uh, you'd like to think they have by now. But you know, judging from everything I've heard, is that they were undecided in the days up to the draft, so they were they're giving it strong consideration. And you know, I think that they're giving it strong consideration in a few ways. I think Logan Cooley was probably in the mix in that consideration too, because if you're gonna go the center, if you're like, okay, we want right over Slavkovsky, then you have to have the conversation. Okay, do we like right over Cooley? because you know both center prospects and they're different types of players and and they are in a similar you know they're right kind of in that same tier together so um i think it's a valid discussion that's been going on this year and not just kind of getting hot for clicks yeah cooley would be interesting uh i mean first of all by the way what i'm hearing is you are guaranteeing that shane wright is the number one pick that is what i'm hearing i've already i just i literally while you were doing that whole speech i actually went online and i bet on Shane Wright to be the number one pick. Got him at minus 250. Very excited. I, I uh, will, and, and and I'm pretty sure that if I don't win, I can blame Cam Robinson. I think that's right. Hey? Yeah, I that's think exactly that's, what I heard. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah Logan yeah, Cooley yeah. would be an interesting pick because, you know, listen, I know, I know in the new NHL size doesn't mean all that much, but I mean, Suzuki's not a big guy. And if you get, if you go with Logan Cooley, then suddenly you've got a one and two center uh, for the next decade that neither one of them has any size. And I'm not sure if Montreal mm-hmm. wants to go that route. Yeah, I think you're right there. And I think that that will definitely be part of that conversation is that, you know, Suzuki and Wright are similar type players, um, which, you know, teams maybe won't love either. Montreal would be like, oh, you know, we're going to have maybe a more dynamic one here and and a more, you know, two-way guy here. Uh, But you're right. You do, you need, you need some strength down the middle, physical strength as well too, right? You don't need either of them really being your matchup center. So you could find some six foot four guy to play as your third line guy and, and take on those top line roles. But ideally, you're rolling your horses out against the other team's horses. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that that would come into play as well. Okay, quick, uh, let's, let's, before we, we, we focus on the draft and, and uh, we get Phil to ask all the questions, but we want to talk about um, who, somebody who, I mean, you mentioned the best player in Canadian, Canadian juniors last year was Shane Wright. Um, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure, obviously you misspoke. It's totally cool. We understand it's early in the morning. You went out last night, partied. Obviously you meant William Dufour, right? <laughs> I what I did mean was the best draft eligible CHL. Thank you. Okay, what I that, should have clarified. Yeah, there you go. Because clearly William DeFore was the best player, right? Oof, man, that, that kid knows how to finish, though, doesn't he? Oh my goodness, he put the puck in the net. Uh, okay, I don't so, know if he's the best player in the CHL, but maybe the best shooter this year. Tell us about tell us about William DeFore. Obviously, a fifth round pick for the New York Islanders. Um, you know, you don't expect much from fifth round picks, but you know, New York Islander fans, we don't have much to be excited about. You know, you look at the, um, the the cupboard is somewhat bare when you look at the prospects over here. But, uh, you know, is William Dufour something for us to get excited about? Where does he project? Where did he project for you at draft time? Has that changed? And where do you see him going forward? It has changed dramatically in the last couple of years. Um, you know, when he was a draft plus one, like kind of heading into that season, um, the last season, uh, you know, he was kind of looked at in our eyes at EP ringside as probably like, you know, the 10th best prospect in the system, um, you know, kind of average NHL average projectable speed had the great shot. We all knew, you know, a fine ha- uh, passer, a little below average for handling. And then the big kind of question mark was the IQ, you know, could he process quickly enough to get open to get that shot off? Um, and the way he's kind of elevated his game and, and improved on that has been pretty impressive. Now, I'm not going to say he's not sign out there yet, 
um, because it's very, very difficult to improve your hockey IQ year over year. It's kind of an innate ability. So um, at the NHL level, I don't imagine he's going to be, you know, a sublime playmaker or, you know, space identifier, but um, the shot is a weapon. And, uh, and he knew how to get into spots this year and, and how to get that puck and how to get it off quickly. Um, I think that his elevation and his kind of ascension uh, has really helped the Isles prospect pool need a lot of stuff. Um, so, you know, to have a guy who's maybe you know, 10, 12th in your pipeline in a weak pipeline to all of a sudden, you know, to shoot up to be in the top three, um, that's big. That's big for the organization. Um, and, uh, and he should be someone that's, a, you know, he started as a project and uh, it's looking like a pretty good project right now. Phil, you have a you have a question because I have a couple more about Dufour before we move on. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're talking about his shot and his release, and it's clear that he's a goal scorer. Um, not the greatest skater from what I've seen. How would you compare him to to Oliver Wallstrom, who, from what we've seen so far at the NHL level, has been pretty one dimensional. It's been either feast or famine. Either he gets that one timer off, um, either on the power play or when someone's able to create space for him, or it's just been a lot of nothing. How would you compare these two players? Say, you know, Wallstrom's like the best case scenario, maybe, maybe not the best case scenario, but a good outcome for him. Um, I was very, very high on Oliver Wallstrom in his draft year. And yeah, it helped that he was playing on that just stacked development team um, with the program they're playing with. You know, we were talking about Jack Hughes and um, Zegris and all those guys. Like, that was just a fun, fun team. And I loved Wallstrom. Um, I still think that there's a chance that he can keep elevating and find more consistency because, you know, when it comes to goal scores, it is often feast or famine, right? It's these guys get hot and run off. You know, they can eat the best goal scorers. You know, they can run off 14 goals in 12 games. And then, you know, they don't score another one for six. Um, and those are the best ones. And so, you know, the, those guys kind of in that next couple of tiers, they're going to do the same thing, but it's going to be on a more pronounced basis. So, okay, Island um, Defense. I do think that, did you hear that? I, I feel like we try to tell the style <laughs> defense all the time that even good goal scorers go in goal droughts. I mean, I can't tell you how many Island defense we hear. We hear like 20 games of the season. Palmieri sucks. He's terrible. Zach Parisi is never going to score another goal. Okay, just wait a second. And then suddenly, you know, 30 games later, it's like, well, Palmieri's amazing. This is, well, how did he learn how to play? Like, that's just goal yeah. scorers, guys. Unless it's Alex Ovechkin or Austin Matthews, there's going to be lulls. And that's just right. the way it is. Like even Patrick Laine, who's just, he's in, you know, so enigmatic, but uh, he, 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 you know, one of the best shooters are out there. You know, he'll go just red hot for a while and then, and then it goes ice cold. And that's just how she goes. You know? If you had to make a prediction for Dufour, um, you know, obviously the thing that scares me is, you know, obviously great shot, great release, but you see in the NHL, a lot of players come up with that great shot and great release, and they're just either A, not smart enough to get in a position to get that shot off, or they just can't create any time and space so they can get the shot off against, you know, NHL defenders and, and good forwards who play two-way hockey. Um, do you see, is Dufour quick enough, smart enough you mentioned his IQ to be able to find himself some space because that's something that we noticed with Wallstrom and Kiefer Bellows, both of whom obviously have a pretty good shot, but both of whom seem to have trouble getting that shot off. That's the million-dollar question, and I, I will say that that is going to be what limits him at the next level um, is that he's going to need to play with some players that know how to create space for him and know how to get the puck to him. Um, and that doesn't always end up the case unless you're like a first liner and you get your just top center who can who can do everything for you or have, you know, an amazing playmaker from the back end that ends up getting linked to your line. Um, so, you know, when you're a third liner, 
you're often not doing that. You're playing the North South game and you're, you're getting in there and you're playing straight and playing honest and you're hoping to, you know, get an opportunity every now and then again. And then when you get it, you better bury it. Um, so yes, I do think that his skating and his intelligence will limit him at the next level. Um, but he's still young and, and, you know, the evolution is going in the right direction for him. So there is a chance, but yeah, I'm, I like the goal totals. I like the, the Mem Cup run, um, but it's still, he's still the junior scorer at this point. What can you tell us about Ratu, right? Going into two seasons ago or last season, he was talked about as a first round pick, maybe even a very high first round pick in 2021. Uh, didn't have a great year that year with all the COVID happenings. Last year had a big year in the Finnish league. Um, where would he go in your opinion in 2021 re- redraft? And in your mind, is he the Islanders best prospect? Yes, he is the Islanders' best prospect. Um, he, so here's the thing. The hype on him early was too much. He wasn't a first overall talent. The flip side, the reaction to that as he had the struggle season and ended up in the second round was also too much. He was better than where he went. There was no reason that he should have fallen out of the first round. And then, you know, we witnessed he goes off for a point a game this year in the Liga. And it's like, what a surprise, like a good hockey player getting put in a good position, puts up good points. Um, so moving over to, to Uyghur, it was, was everything, right? Like getting out of Carpat, um, they just, it just, they weren't using them the way to the, to the best of his abilities. And I, I talk about this all the time is that it, it comes down to coaching and, and kind of team dynamics is that you put players in positions to succeed, right? You don't try to jam a square peg into a round hole because no one wins. The player doesn't win. The team doesn't win. Uh, everyone gets frustrated. Um, and so, you know, when he moved, they put him into positions to succeed. You know, his game is predicated on speed. Um, it's predicated on, you know, getting in into, into pockets of space and making plays. Um, and he, you know, if, if we're redrafting it right now, you know, I'd say he should go around the 15, 20 mark. And that's, I mean, if we knew he had a point of game season in the league coming, he'd probably even go even higher than that too. Um, but he probably just should have gone in that kind of 15 to 20 range already anyways. Um, so, you know, he's not an elite skater, but he's a good skater good shot you know and then across the board he's he's got kind of plus rated skills and he's got some physicality to him so this is one of these guys that i think um when he he gets to the nhl that there's going to be different opportunities for him to succeed he can start you know in your bottom six and he can play kind of a a four checking game and, and playing smart defensively and then you know get his opportunities up the lineup as he matures and then hopefully those points come with him how far away yeah, is he I mean, from the NHL? Is he, or I mean, obviously with with Lou at the helm, you figure he won't be up for another six, seven years, but a uh, couple decades, right? Yeah. In an ideal yeah, I mean, world, I was going to ask on Ratu, Dave. I was going to ask on Ratu with with the Islanders having Barzell, hopefully long term, Nelson and Pajot as their top three centers. Is this the kind of situation where you start him on the wing, um, or would that be doing him a disservice long term? No, no, you absolutely put him on the wing because why not? I, 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 I'm a champion of putting most centers on the wing when they move into the nhl unless they're one you know really really impressive skill and it's more of a person thing too right is that can they handle the pressure of playing down the middle in the nhl because it is a big responsibility um so you need to have the talent to do it and you need to kind of have that fortitude to pull it off um so i think that most players but also it's like you just again you put them in a spot to succeed it's it's simpler you play up and down the wing you don't have to worry about taking draws as much um, and then you, you you get him in there, you know, you start to feed him some, some offensive zone draws. Um, you work on him in practice and then, you know, because you don't want to give up on playing the middle uh, for him. But yeah, I, I definitely would ease him in. But um, to respond to David's question there, how far out is he? I mean, 
when you put up a point a game in the Liga at his age, that's a good step, you know, get him over to the AHL. Let's see what's up, right? Let's see if he can handle the North American game, and then and then he should be ready to, to push for NHL ice. That'd be good. Uh, let's turn to uh, uh, Simon Holmstrom, uh, kind of, you know, a whatever late first-round pick from uh, from Lou. I think a lot of us uh, Islander fans have kind of given up on him, but second half of last year, he impressed a lot of us and, and look, started to look like maybe – he, he could be an NHL or maybe a bottom six guy. Uh, what was your take on Simon uh, then and now? Yeah, I, uh, again, this is another player that, you know, he's, he's got a, a few ranges of outcome to him too, because he's a very good skater of all the guys we've been talking about. He's, he's the best mover out there for sure. Um, he has a good shot. He has good passing. He's a good puck handler. He's smart, not very physical, but um I think that he's kind of over the years now, he's figured out a little bit how to play in a more depth role in a more straight up role that he's never going to be a physical player, but he can put himself into good positions to protect the puck or to lift sticks and things like that. Um, and so, you know, my main focus is usually drop eligibles, but I can't help but see these guys play too. Um, and, you know, you're right. He had a good back half to the season. He had a good playoff um, at his age with his, you know, where he was drafted, it's, you know, it's time to give him a chance. Um, he can play on both sides of the ice. Um, so I, I think he's going to get a long look this year in camp. Um, whether or not he, he makes the team is, is kind of, I think that that'll be the deciding factor on if he's going to be in this organization anymore um, or if he's even going to have an NHL career. Is that it's time to kind of shit it off the pot. Good say. Uh, Phil, anything else you want to know about the Islander prospects or should we move on to the draft? Let's move on to the draft. Let's move on to the draft. Okay. So, uh, Cam, we want to try to focus on, on the players that are going to be available in that 13 spot, you know. Uh, so maybe the, the five or six players that you think that could end up going to the Islanders should they not trade this pick. Yeah, well, there's going to be some options, right? This year is it's full of fun because – there's really no consensus. There never really is, but there's sometimes something close to a consensus. And so all these public lists are great. Uh, mine included is that you get people's opinions and, and sometimes it's people who watch it. And sometimes it's people who just, you know, want to make a list. Um, but when you, when you get down to brass taxes, that NHL team lists look a whole lot different than the ones that you're seeing on the internet. Um, and that's, you know, part is that, you know, for me and, and, my personal list is that like, I'm trying to watch all these guys. Um, when we, when we do our list at EP ringside, we do have our regions. And so it is, you know, kind of, it's more like an NHL team, but their guys, you know, they have someone that's like, his job is to watch the Western league. You know, this guy's job is to watch the Finnish league, the Finnish juniors and, you know, the Métis. And so they're really hyper-focused on these guys. And so they're going to be able to find someone and they're going to bang the table for these guys to jump them up a lot higher. Um, so when we're looking at the aisles there, um, I think that there's a whole bunch of players that they could look at. Um, you know, that could be available for them. I, you know, there's, I think that Joachim Kamel is someone who is predicted to go in the top 10 that I could see him sliding out and being there um, for the Isles. I think a guy like Matt Savoy, another one who's kind of projected to go into the top 10 could be there sliding back. Cause I think that there's going to be some reaches early on, which means there's going to be some guys falling back. Um, you know, if they're looking on the back end, I think Kevin Korchinski could be an option for them there. If he's not gone, um, you know, Owen Pickering's another one. Uh, Denton Matejchuk, who probably won't go until a little later, but he should go much earlier. So there, there's going to be a whole host of options there. It's a good spot. It's it's a it's a good spot because you kind of get to sit back and be like, let's see what happens. Let's see what falls to us because I I do believe there's going to be something that falls to that spot. 
considering what you said before about, you know, your, your love of teams that trade back, accumulate picks. I mean, based on what you're saying, it seems like there could be a whole range of outcomes here and there might be someone by the time it gets to 10, where they've got like four or five people they really like, is this the year more than other years where you would say, this is a good draft to kind of trade back four or five spots. If there's a bunch of players that you like, I remember back in 18, for example, Noah Dobson fell out of the top 10, which I think most people had him in the top 10. The Islanders managed to get him at 12. This year they have 13. Um, that was probably not a situation where you would have wanted to flip the 12 pick if Noah Dobson was your guy. But do you see this as a prime situation where they should move from maybe 13 to 16 or 18? Yeah, you you wait, right? Wait until your pick, basically, um, to see. Because like I said, if there's someone who falls that's in a tier above, you're like, great, we'll just take this player. Um, but if everyone from your from that tier is gone and your pick comes up and you're into your next tier and you really don't see a big difference between the next four players on your list, slide back three or four spots. You get yourself another asset, maybe a mid-second or, or a couple of thirds or something like that, and then you still get someone from that tier. Um, so absolutely, I think that this is a, a great year to move back. Um, you know, if, if if I was running a draft table, and I, I would probably, if I was picking in that those teams there and there wasn't some big demonstrative faller to me, um, I would move back and then I'd move back again and I'd move back again and like just like keep on sliding back a couple picks and keep on picking up assets and then go ahead and get a guy that you like. And then you have a whole bunch of darts on day two or in 2023, which is a much better class. Um, it's, it's, I think that those opportunities to, that's how you mine assets, right? Like that's how you, that's how you get somewhere organizationally, um, trading up, um, and you need a partner if you're going to trade back is not often the way to, to get there, unless you have a wealth of, of options, like a team, like, you know, the Kings who just have so much talent in their pipeline or the wild and things like that. They're in the, in, in the situation where they can jump up and kind of give up some of those assets to get a premier one. Yeah, I mean, um, but not a lot of organizations are in that spot. As a lot of our fans are, are unfortunately Jet fans. Also, we have uh, we have looked north in envy to the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick over the years. How they have always moved back and, and just gotten more and more picks, and we have looked at that in envy. So uh, you know, hopefully the Islanders take a cue from that. Uh, let's talk about a couple of those players that you did mention. Kevin Korchinski is interesting. Uh, a big kid, six foot two, uh, plays out of Seattle. We're obviously familiar with that. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a left-shot defenseman. Um, you know, for you Islander fans out there who obviously think, oh, we need a left-shot defenseman. Okay, well, he's not a, he's not ready yet, but maybe it mm-hmm. does give us an option where, hey, we can if, – if, if, if we can't get a Jacob Tricker in, we can, you know, bring another veteran in, and then maybe Korchinski is ready in three years um, kind of type situation. But talk about him for a moment. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the most electric offensive defenders in the draft. Um, he uh, on the on the power play, he is you know very very good uh, transitioning the puck with his feet, joining the rush, very very good. Um, you know, he's got the projectable size, like you mentioned, put up a ton of points. <clears throat> but the defensive side of things is very much a work in progress. Um, he was getting sheltered in the WHL. He was exposed greatly, especially in that Kamloops series. Um, in the in the not the West Final, yeah, West Final, um, because he was just getting he was getting burned all the time. And you know when a guy, especially a top prospect, can't handle matchups in the dub, uh, that is concerning. Um, but you know you can you can teach defense. 
you can't often teach a player those innate offensive skills that he has. So that's why he's so high up on a draft list. Um, that's why he'll go in the top 15 is that you're betting on a projectable size. And then, you know, you're hoping that you're pulling out kind of a, a real unbridled stallion that you're going to have to get into your system and then kind of get your hands on them and be like, no, 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 you need to play defense as well. Um, and so that that's going to make his timeline a little bit longer than some other defensemen who have some of those skills as well. Um, but, you know, I still like him enough to have him in my top 15. Uh, a forward you mentioned, Savoy. I remember a while ago, Savoy being mentioned as a possible second overall pick, third overall pick. He slipped a little bit. Um, is this a case of him not developing, a case of being under the, the bright lights too long and under the magnifying glass too long? Uh, what's the story with Savoy? Yeah, you know, it's. I had someone ask me this the other day too, is that like, are we just nitpicking him because he's been around for so long? Because, you know, he was borderline exceptional status in the dub. Um, he was, he's like a January one birthday. So if he was born one day earlier, he would have just been allowed to play. Um, but, uh, so they didn't grant him exceptional status, but they let him because of his birthday play like half the season for, uh, for the ice. Um, he got kind of pumped around when he was 15 anyway. So it was probably best that he didn't play full time there. Uh, but then he went to the USHL during the COVID season and he was really good. Like he was really good. Um, and then he came back this year and, you know, he put up a ton of points, um, but the ice were like literally the most offensive team in the CHL. Like they scored the most goals. Um, all of their offense ran through him when he was on the ice by design. Like it was, it was queued up and strategized. Like we will run our offense through Matt Savoy. And, you know, granted he is making those plays to get those primary assists. Um, he knows how to finish. I really like his shot, but he's a smaller player who I don't think is going to be a center in the NHL. And he can get kind of washed out in the middle of the ice. And those are concerning to me, especially that he's not an electric skater. He's a good skater. He's above average, but he's not electric. And so those are all kind of check marks against him. Um, and so it's like you, you're you're looking at him and you're thinking to yourself, is like, is this a first line center? Because if he is with, at his size and his skill, it's like, okay, then, then all the offense will run through him. But if he's not, then he's going to have a hard time getting those puck touches that he has in junior to get the, to create that offense. Um, so that's what has kind of put him further down my list than a lot of other people's. Um, you know, he's only five foot nine. Um, so I got him at 16. Most people have him in the top 10. Um, but, you know, I talked to teams and I talked to Western scouts. And, you know, when I released my board, I had one reach out to me and just say, like, yeah, like totally justifiable to have Ferkus ahead of him. You know, Korczynski, all these guys. He could be, you know, the fourth or fifth guy off the off the board. Um, all it takes is one team. But uh, there's certainly teams that kind of agree with that assessment that he is. There's risk. There's risk attached there, which will, you know, makes the potential for a faller, but it also gives opportunity, right? Like if you're picking outside of the top 10 and you want to take Matt Savoy, then yeah, I think that that's a, a good bet, a, a reasonable bet anyways on his skill level. Uh, a guy I feel, like we're, we're, go I feel ahead. like we're legally, I feel like we're legally obliged to ask about this player. The Islanders yeah. before the season ended, signed Jimmy Lambert to an AHL contract. They hired Lane Lambert to be their NHL coach now. What can you tell us about Brad Lambert? And and maybe Lou has anti-nepotism laws in place and has already ruled him out as a result of that. Although in 2016, it would have been nice if we would have gotten our AHL coach's son, Tage Thompson, um, instead of Kiefer Bellows. But what could you tell us about Brad Lambert, who I've seen all over the place in various mock drafts? He is kind of like the big wild card of the draft this year um, because he is like a just almost the best combination of hands and feet in the draft. Great wheels, great hands. 
Um, he has a good shot. He is like an enigma wrapped in a paradox, just kind of all trapped together. And they're not really sure what to make of him because like he, like those two games at the world juniors before it got shut down, he was amazing. And he, you know, he's not even playing against his age level. Like it's still up a couple of years for him. Um, and he was so, so good. And then you look at his league of play and he's so, so frustrating. Um, takes shifts off. The effort level's not there. You know, not a smart player. Runs himself into trouble. Misses, you know, the best play available. Um, but then can just, wow. Then can just like come flying out of the zone, make a move on a defender, embarrass him, cut around and then, you know, put a top cheddar on, on, a, on a pro goalie. And you're like, dang, like, why can't he do that more often? Because you're not going to get it every shift, but more often. Um, so the, the upside there is very, very high. The floor is very, very low. Um, my, I was going to write it as one of my bold predictions this year that he didn't, that he doesn't get drafted in the first round, but it wasn't bold enough because I think it's, there's a very real possibility that that happens. I think he's going to be around in the twenties that, and then once you get into that spot, teams that have multiple first round picks, it's like, why not swing on this kid? We already got someone at, you know, 11 or 17 or whatever. Now let's take a dart on this one who maybe he's a first liner. Uh, or maybe he's nothing, but it doesn't kill us because we already had a first round pick. It's, but I could also see him being there it. early on day two. It's so right, surprising. Based on what you're describing, it sounds a lot like Josh Hosek, who who the Islanders <laughs> have been burned on in the past. Would that be accurate? I mean, sort of, kind of. There's a, probably a little more going on with Josh Hosek. Um, right. But uh, yeah, but yeah, you know, there is that off ice stuff too that, you know, Brad Lambert's dad is very, very involved in his career. He acts as the de facto agent. You know, Lambert doesn't have an agent. His dad kind of does all that for him. He has asked out of a couple of organizations already. Um, teams don't love that. Um, you know, you, you're going to run into some roadblocks on your way under the path to the NHL. And if you don't have that, that gut to really fight through and get over those hurdles. Instead, you know, you just want the easy way out on trade. You know, I want to uh, put me in a different program. You're not giving me the ice time I want. It's like, you're a kid playing in a top pro league. You take the ice time you get and then you earn more. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see if he comes over to Seattle because his, his rights were just traded um, from Saskatoon and the WHL to the, to the Thunderbirds and, you know, Seattle's jacked up. So, um, I mean, he could have came come over last year and he had family you know, in town there. Um, so if he wanted to come last year, he could have easily done that. But I'll be very curious for whichever team drafts him. I have a feeling that they're going to want him to come over to North America and get, you know, they'll get their hands on him um, a little bit more. I think it's incredibly interesting because you, you'd think that with a hockey family, um, the kid would have more hockey sense, um, you know, in terms of the dad interfering. I mean, I guess it works okay if you're Mitch Marner's dad and Mitch Marner's talent, but maybe not so if you're Lambert. Also, from what I'm hearing, you know, if the Islanders do end up wanting him, that that's a, a, a trade down scenario, and then get him later on. Yeah, I mean, yes, I would not be taking him in that spot for sure. Right. Um, that's, th- that's me personally, but you know, there's <laughs> there, there's some fans out there that think that he's you know, and, and there's a part of his games that are top ten skill levels. Um, you know, so uh, again, all it takes is one team to make me look like an asshole, and, and he could go. <laughs> He could go number eleven or something like that. But if they, if a team does that, they're you know they're taking a big old spoonful of risk with that pick. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna ask you maybe one or two more, and then we're gonna let you go. I know it's a busy day for you with the draft coming up in less than twelve hours. Uh, always, always a fun time of year uh, for all, all the teams out there that maybe aren't Tampa Bay or you know teams that actually need to do something in the off season. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite players, and I know I think it's one of yours as well. You talk about small. You talk about somebody who can skate and got speed. Frank Nazar, um, and, and is it Nazar or Nazar? 
Uh, Nazar. Nazar. Okay. Frankie so Nazar. I read a great yeah. story about him in the athletic where, you know, the kid didn't even learn how to, didn't even get on the ice until he was six years old, but just took to it right away. And, you know, very quickly was, you know, playing on the top local teams at just eight years old, which is pretty astonishing. I mean, I, I coach a, a U8 team and uh, out here. So to see how quickly those kids can, the really athletic ones can develop is always amazing. And, and Nazar is one of my favorites. Um, I've seen him also, I guess this draft is just like that. I have seen him anywhere from seven to like 18 in this draft. Um, what's your take on him? Cause I love him. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I also love him. I sat down and did an interview with him earlier in the year and wrote a big dive on his game. It's funny when I talked to him, the, I didn't read the athletic story, but when we chatted, he was, I think he was four when he first put on his skates and, uh, he said it just, it was just, he was just a natural. It just, okay. So the story's changed could, already. He, okay. He, he he could skate like you know like i've got a son who's six and uh you know i, I put him on his first pair of skates and he was four and he wasn't burning around the rink on the first day i'll tell you that much um so obviously this kid is just gifted with some uh, athletic talent um i i really like him as a player i think he's uh, he's got a good head on his shoulders too he recognizes kind of the limitations to his game and he's already made corrections to it you know I, one of the great quotes from that article that i wrote about him is that he said he's like if you watched me as a as a u17 player it looked like i wasn't playing any defense out there because I wasn't. Um, and he's like, again, you know, the coach of staff, Adam Nightingale, and they said to him, like, listen, you're you're going to need to play a, a well-rounded game if you're going to be able to do this. And so he did. So he added that element to his game. He's very responsible defensively this year. Midway through the season, you know, kind of his game was like, I got speed and I've got great hands and I can get, I can just burn guys in the USHL level, even at the NCAA level when they're playing Div 1 teams. You know, his kind of mandate was like, beat a guy, maybe beat another one, and then look and then see what's going on. And that's not exactly a translatable skill, right? The NHL defensemen and forwards are so good that you don't get to just, you know, break their ankles all day. So he's like, okay, I'll change my game a little bit here. So he started to play a more kind of straightforward game and added a, a more advanced passing um, element to his game. And, and so that is a translatable thing, which is funny because Logan Cooley kind of did the opposite. Um, so they kind of switched roles a little bit midway through the season, which is fun. Uh, but I like him a lot. I've got him uh, top. So I got him number six on my board. Um, there is a big disconnect on how NHL teams see him versus some of the public people. Um, there are some teams that like him, and I know that they've talked about it. Unfortunately, they're not picking in those ranges, though, that think that you know a whole bunch of teams in the top 10 are going to regret missing on this kid. Um, I made a tweet the other day. And, uh, Minnesota's got two picks. I think they're picking 17 and 23 after the Fiala deal. That They're going to walk away with Nazar and Denton Matejuk. And, you know, Judd Brackett and company are just going to win the draft and walk out of there. And it's just because they recognize that it's like, it doesn't matter if these guys are a little undersized, they are super skilled and they're super smart. And that's really all that matters in this day and age. Does Nazar translate, does he play center in the NHL, you think, or is he eventually a winger? I mean, he, he could end up as a wing for sure, but I think he, I think he's going to be a center just because of, if you had asked me that six months ago, I would have maybe hedged a little bit more to the wing, but now the way that he was using his teammates throughout the back half of the year and, and just showing that he can add that, that more advanced passing game. I think that that will help him a lot. And, and defensively too, is that that matchup and, you know, again, you know, maybe starts his career as a, as a winger and we'll see what happens when he goes to Michigan here this year, maybe ends up in London, the OHL who has his rights. And I know that they're going to take a big old swing trying to keep him or try to get him to move over. Uh, but he's a Michigan kid. So it probably makes sense for him to just stick at uh, the university there. Uh, but, you know, if he if he can handle right out the door as a freshman down the middle of duties and, and a little bit down the lineup, then I think that that'll be a good sign for him being a center long term. Nazar is my choice. If, if he's there at 13 
If I'm the Islanders, I don't trade the pick, and I just take Nazar. That is my choice. I'm just going to put that out there. You guys can criticize me in five years. Let me know. Uh, Phil, before, uh, before we let Cam go, I'll let you ask one last. Let's ask one more draft question, and then we'll let him go. I, I've got all my questions out, Dave. I mean, really? I mean, main, ta- main, main takeaways is that Dufour is a beast. The <laughs> Islanders have lots of options with this pick, and, and Cam loves the outlook for our team for the next several years, right? Did I get that all right? That, that's, that, those are Cole's <laughs> notes, right? And uh, guaranteed everything. You guys just lay some bets, and uh, yeah, my word is gospel, hey? Okay, well, then I'll ask you on more then. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, Joachim Kemmel, uh, the right wing out of Finland. Um, I, I, most of the, 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 the mock drafts I'm seeing have him going in the top eight or nine. So I'd be real surprised to see if he was there at 13, but if somehow he does slip, uh, tell us about him. Shooter kids, a shooter. And he's a good one too. You know, you set the world on fire there in the league early in the season injury kind of derailed the, 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 the streak. And then it was hard for him to get going after that. Um, he's another one of these guys that he's a little too reliant on his hands to get him open enough to, to get that shot off. Um, so I think he's going to need to kind of learn to play a little bit smarter, a little more NHL style. Um, and then, you know, you give him a, a playmaking center and then, you know, off you go. Um, kind of reminds me of Mike Hoffman a little bit. Great one time or two. So he's going to be he's going to be like a really potent power play player. We'll see how the even strength scoring kind of translate, which is why he's a little bit lower on my board. He's just outside of my top 10, um, just because I'm not sure how he's going to how that how that <clears throat> change will happen and, and how he'll be able to handle it. And I didn't love the back half of the season, but you had to bake in the injury. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's an interesting player. And again, if he's, if he's sitting there at 13, I think that that's, you walk up and you take the pick um, that he's kind of in that tier that you would be very happy to get at 13. Cam, uh, we really appreciate your time. Have a great time in Montreal. I hope there's just uh, a thousand trades today and moves and uh, it's the most exciting day. And more importantly, I hope you, uh, uh, you have a good time and, and more karaoke, I hope. What's your go-to song, by the way? Uh, we did a little Live in La Vida local last night to shut her down. That was a, that was a banger. That, that was fun for sure. I, uh, maybe, maybe if we end up back there, a little Backstreet Boys or something. Oh, okay. I, I like that. Wait, you've gotta, there's got to be some video of this and put it on Twitter. Man, there is some video. I'm not sure if it's going to get on Twitter or not. I'm not sure it should be. But, uh, yeah, one of the boys said that they, they were recording it. And we're like, woohoo, Maybe it's got to be edited out first before the, the world can see it. But, uh, yeah, it, it was a good time anyway. I, I love it. Uh, well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, Phil's Facts, you can follow him on Twitter at Phil's Facts. I am Tuck on Sports. He is Cam Robinson at ho- uh, Hockey underscore Robinson. And uh, great stuff. He's always uh, – his takes are always uh, uh, well-written and well-thought-out, and you can get all of his stuff over at uh, rinksidebyeliteprospects.com. The link is in his Twitter profile. And, uh, Cam, thank you so much. Enjoy Montreal, my man. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys.